not in danger, for I am the Baron von Vinegar, your ancestor. I do not have any power over you for you're my blood descendant. Therefore, I am unable to hurt you like the others. The same murderer has struck twice recently, sir. Apparently, he doesn't kill for any conventional motive. Uh, he must be some kind of sadist, I guess. But not a sadist as I know them. The circumstances which he prefers show a more unnatural instinct. What precisely do you mean by that term, Doctor? That from the results of my autopsy, I think the murderer is not a human. I'm taking Susan with me, Adolf. the bloody pit i hope you're having a good october i have invited or re-invited uh, your friend and mine court psyops to talk about a vampire movie how are you doing today court it was not horrible nor was it sexy and i'm pretty sure there was no vampirism <laughs> i would argue that there was some sexy but it was uh it was spread out across the entire running time and the only really sexy parts of it were just nudity that's really it yeah i meant that's, i meant the vampire itself which wasn't oh, also oh, well, wasn't no. there it wasn't the, the vampire wasn't that horrible actually i i, I find the, the i find the evil entity in the film actually relatively reasonable <laughs> as far as evil entities go <laughs> well he has set up some rules and damn it just stick to them and you're okay <laughs> the very uh, simple formula you just don't show up at that place uninvited it's it's pretty basic, really. Uninvited <laughs> guests and the whole nine yards. Everybody needs to take these kinds of things into account. <laughs> well, the film we are talking about today is indeed called The Horrible Sexy Vampire, uh, which actually is not uh, not its original title, but we'll we'll get to that. But it's a film that uh, came out in 1971, roughly, depending on where you were in the world. And of course, uh, this this episode could easily uh, show up as part of the feed for Nashi Cast, considering that it is a Spanish horror film. And uh, the reason it is not is just that uh, I, I, I I wanted to, to have Court all to myself. I like to snuggle up to him, <laughs> and uh, I didn't want Troy getting in the way. The horrible, so sexy it's, it's... Court psyops. <laughs> well, one of those is definitely true. I'll leave it to your imagination. <laughs> <laughs> Two out of three but, ain't bad. Yeah, there's that. Uh, well, the... Uh, <laughs> or one out of three ain't bad. The uh, Well, no, I am Court psyops, the... so that's... One of the two. <laughs> oh, well, okay, okay. Whether I'm horrible or sexy is up to, you know, the mood I'm in. Oh, my goodness. This movie does sport several people that um, fans of, or in-depth fans, I guess I should probably say, of the films of Paul Nashi would definitely recognize. Uh, at least you have seen them pop up in other Paul, well, we'll just say you've seen them pop up in Paul Nashi movies and they're, they're kind of uh, standard issue actors and creators in the field of uh, Spanish horror during the 1970s. I mean, starting with the director, 
uh, Jose Luis Madrid. Interesting fellow. He made a, he made a few films with Paul Nashi, which is of course how how we know him. The most famous would be um, uh, Seven Murders for Scotland Yard. I think that's probably my favorite of his films that he did with Nashi. And uh, you've seen that one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the one where it looks like everybody that's being stabbed is actually a couch covered in latex, right? Exactly. Yeah, I've seen that one. <clears throat> you, yeah, you remember it well. <laughs> uh, the, <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> yes, yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll discuss the relative merits or demerits of the uh, special effects within uh, Mr. Madrid's films across the board, it would appear. Um also popping up in a number of uh, different movies across the the European joy spectrum, that would be the uh, uh, Bart, the amazing actor Barta Berry, who I think is uh, being asked to overdo it a little bit in this film. But he is t- he is in so many movies that I just absolutely love across the uh, basically the seventies and eighties that um, I have a lot of affection for this guy. <laughs> He's in. So stinking many movies. Um, geez. Let's see. Horror Express. <laughs> uh, he's in Nashi's Dr. Jekyll and uh, the Werewolf. He's the innkeeper in that movie, and he has some really juicy scenes in that. I think they were great. <clears throat> he's also in uh, Werewolf Shadow, a.k.a. the Werewolf versus the Vampire Women, or Woman, pardon. And uh, actually, he's in a number of pretty interesting movies including some uh some movies some some westerns that were lensed in spain as so many of them were that um you probably run across if you're a real spaghetti western lunatic but uh otherwise you you may or may not recognize him but uh he's one of those you know he's obviously just one of those dependable actors that people could call on and get things done and he uh, he's able to play just just about any kind of role you want to plug him into if you if you look at it if you look at what he's been called upon to do he uh, he's he's good at what he does and his long list of credits I mean well over a hundred films and I don't think it's casting aspersions to point out that uh, two of his last films, were uh, Monster Dog in 84. Poor guy. He just plays a character called Old Man. And uh, neither he nor Alice Cooper made it out of that film alive. And um, <laughs> <laughs> the very last film of uh, one of the uh, the greats of Spanish cinema in uh, 1985, The Sea Serpent, uh, Mando de Osorio's uh, final screen effort, which... I will actually find. I actually will defend that movie, but uh, I can understand why some people would uh, not defend the Sea Serpent. If you want to talk about <laughs> dicey special effects, the Sea Serpent, <laughs> the Sea Serpent bites off way more than it can chew. Have you ever sat down and watched that one? No, no, the Sea Serpent's not one that I've gotten my hands on. So um, I, I look forward to whatever might be the diciest of effects in that. <laughs> well, one. I have to say, I, I do honestly. I, I hold out hope. It may be a forlorn hope that one day we'll get a, a really nice Blu-ray of the Sea Serpent packed with extras. And, of course, I often have these delusions, but the this is one of the kinder ones, I think, where I'm hoping for a, an, a misunderstood and, and, and a benighted piece of art to be shown the, the sun in a strange way so that others can possibly enjoy it if, or, or just maybe point and laugh. I don't know. Nevertheless, uh, Bar- Barta Berry. Well, 
if Severn Films gets their hands on it, you just never know. I mean, I never thought I'd get a 4K of uh, Werewolf versus the Vampire Women, but that's coming. I so. know what a surprise that was. I mean, to, to be blindsided by that uh, by that announcement, that was both fantastic and uh, kind of weird. That the the fact that they're they're putting the uh, that fantastic documentary, the man who saw Frankenstein cry on that disc, is amazing. Right, I can finally watch it in subtitles in my non-pirated version. <laughs> it's such a good movie. Oh, anyway, the cast. Uh, I guess. Uh, oh well, there's one other uh, actor. He's a character actor who, um, once again, got to know because of watching. You'd think I'd know him from all the stinking spaghetti westerns he was in, but I, I really got to know him because of the Spanish horror stuff that he turns up in. His name is um, Louis Induni. Uh, he passed away in 1979, sad to say, so that is definitely when his career ended. Too early, in my opinion, even though he was he was getting up there in years. Man, one of his last films was The House by the Edge of the Lake. Have you ever seen that? No, but I've heard pretty rough things about it. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, Enzo Castellari's... Um, it's fascinating. It's it's one of those movies that I, I I can't remember if I heard rumors of is it I heard rumors about that getting a release sometime soon. Anyway, it's a very interesting film, but it was one of uh, Mr. Induni's uh, final movies. But uh, where you may have seen him before, other than this film here, is uh, let's see. Oh, Killer of Dolls. That's recent. He was he was Sekakon in Night of the Howling Beast. Which, uh, you know, is the werewolf versus the Yeti, the Paul Nashie film. <laughs> he was the guy getting all the virgin skin r- draped across his back then, yep, right? Yep, that's him. And, uh, yeah, for, yeah. for Nashie, he was also in Devil's Possessed. And uh, uh, for Amanda D'Osorio, he was the mayor in Lorelei's Grasp. And Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm, he was Otavos, uh, or Otvos, in uh, Dr. Jekyll versus the Werewolf. <laughs> so... Like I say, you you may, you may have seen him in, in, in a Nashi film here or there. He was in, you know, like I say, lots of spaghetti westerns. We're talking, you know, Sartana kills them all, Sabata the killer. So many stinking... They paid with bullets. There's a title. They paid with bullets. <laughs> <laughs> it's It invokes so much imagery. Like, did they just hand the bullets over fully? It's still in the cartridges <laughs> or are they just shooting people as payment? <laughs> Because that's shitty payment. <laughs> he got paid with lead and cordite. Wait, what? He did what? <laughs> Wait. <clears throat> One more person who uh, I got to know through my love of Paul Nashie films would be the uh, the music composer for the film, uh, Angel Ortega, who unfortunately did pass away in uh, 1984. No matter what else you say about this movie, and don't get me wrong, there would be lots of things to say. The music is, I think, a standout element of it, and that doesn't really surprise me considering how much affection I have for Mr. Ortega's uh, work in a lot of other movies. Uh, he did the score for, uh, once again, for Nashi for The Beast and the Magic Sword, for uh, El Caminante or The Traveler or uh, whatever title you want to see it under, uh, Na- uh, Naked Madrid, um, man, so many films. But the, uh, the real joy here is that his music here... I, I don't know if you I, I, I was going to throw this out as we as we played along, but I just wanted to throw this out immediately, which is there are points in this movie where the score feels like he's definitely channeling James Bernard of Hammer movies fame, where there's uh, there's definitely some passages of the score in this film that I'm thinking, you yeah, know, 
that feels like something out of a Hammer Dracula film pretty heavily. I think he's being definitely influenced to kind of lean in the direction of their vampire scores. They're horrible, sexy vampire scores. <laughs> yeah, there's that. But uh, Mr. Ortega's uh, work with Nash, he goes all the way back to his very first werewolf movie, The uh, the Mark of the Werewolf, or Frankenstein's Bloody Terror, as it's known here in the States. I, I've always been impressed and enjoyed his music, and this film is no exception. Arthur, I've just had an idea. Let's stop at the first hotel we see. director as we mentioned a moment ago mr senior madrid um besides the nashi films that he worked on and i think he worked on three of them with nashi uh the thing you get into is that he was very much a follower of follower of the fashions of exploitation you know whatever was going to uh, get onto the screens and hopefully ride the coattails of whatever was uh, you know getting a lot of attention at the time. He was one of those directors, and believe me, I have no problem with that. I, I don't think any exploitation fan can really, really have a problem with that, or you're 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 leaving yourself you're leaving yourself out in the rain for that. That's a that's a bad idea. But the uh, if you're a fan of exploitation and you don't like when someone snags other people's ideas and makes them their own, you're kind of leaving yourself in the lurch oh, yeah. there. And you're. <laughs> You're putting yourself in a position that is unenviable because you're just not you're, you're gonna you're gonna not enjoy uh, a number of things, uh, which probably about. you basically hate the genre that you claim exactly. to love. If that's the case, well, I mean, I mean, <laughs> I have to say, there's not a month that goes by that I don't find myself wondering. <laughs> why someone in particular online claims to be a fan of horror movies and does nothing but bitch about every horror movie that he talks about. So eh, maybe it's just the way things are. <laughs> There's a lot of miserable cusses out there. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. Yeah. And the, the desire to not be pleased so as to not, so as to appear to be cool seems to be uh, high on the list of priorities for a number of people. But we'll stop talking about contemporary films. We're talking about this damn thing from 50 some odd years ago. Um, so I'm going to, I've got to tell everybody up front. The reason I finally saw this movie, because I had avoided this, I'm not saying avoided, I just never got around to seeing this movie, until the mighty folks over at Mondo Macabro put it out on Blu-ray. And uh, once again, as almost always happens with something of this type, I'm really happy that I stayed away from this until I was able to get a decent presentation of it that actually gave some information about it to give me some context for just what in the hell I was looking at. And uh, by that, I don't mean that uh, I find that, that the film is confusing or, you know, surreal or unexplainable or confused, you know, nothing of that nature. I just, I just love knowing exactly how in the world somebody 
decided to finance this movie, and that is... I hate to I hate to put it in such blunt terms, but uh, that story behind the scenes is probably more interesting than the movie itself. But had you ever seen this sucker before either, Court? No, before you messaged me uh, and said, "Hey, you want to cover the horrible, sexy vampire?" I'd never even heard the title, and I was like, "With a title like that, how can I say no?" Oh yeah, you know there had to, there had to have been a reason why Rod was asking me. You know, I was like, "Of course, of course, I'm going to cover this." You know, and I immediately went out and ordered it. I went to Mondo Macabro's site and just put in my order for like a bunch of stuff that I hadn't, you know, I neglected to get. So I got their like uh, regular edition of this and a few other movies that I just hadn't filled in the gaps. Cause I was like, why not? Let's let's do oh, this, yeah. you know. Well, I mean, so Satanico Pandemonium <laughs> may end up on my show eventually because that was one of them. <laughs> uh, you know, I you, that's a that's a hell of an interesting film. That really is. I think you're gonna. I, yeah, I can't wait to. I can't wait to hear you torture your co-host with that one. Uh, it's gonna be a couple years because we have them like the next year and oh a half I mapped know. out. Oh my god! Over on Cinema Psyops, I, you, you told me what the map is for the next few months, and I'm just, I'm just really feeling for both of you. That's, <laughs> oh man. I mean, dude, it's what should I, I send? Should I, I send band aids or something, or maybe some booze? <laughs> <laughs> Matt might use some booze, but you know, band-aids I don't think I'm gonna need because, you know, we're not covering Red Sonia on my show, so I'll be okay. <laughs> well the um well man, nevertheless, this is a movie that has uh, even with my intense desire to watch all European exploitation from roughly the uh, first of the, ni- the the first few years of the 1960s, if not the late 1950s, all the way through to this very second. Uh, I, this one's escaped me, and I, like I say, very glad that I waited until there was a really good presentation of this sucker, because this really gives context. This really gives an idea of how to fit this into the universe that is, well, <laughs> this madness, this madness right here. It's a, it's, it's a joy. It's something that, um, man, the, 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 these boutique Blu-ray l- labels, we, we're very lucky to have this as an option. We're very lucky to be able to put ourselves in the position of experiencing these movies for the very first time in uh, in a way that quite honestly may be better than the way in which people were seeing them in a, you know, either a drive-in theater or even a hard top back in the 70s for God's sake. Yeah, the presentations definitely are given the best that they possibly can uh, specifically for Mondo Macabro, mm-hmm. you know. And you can always pretty much depend that they're going to do and or go for the best that they possibly can with that. Uh, the boutique labels may have a little bit more of a trade-off where perhaps they can't afford to do some of the restoration work that some of the bigger labels do. But uh, some of the boutiques, like I, I would still consider Severn a boutique, but they do some restorations that, I mean, rival the bigger mm-hmm. studios yeah, for sure. I agree. <laughs> The same murderer has struck twice recently, sir. Apparently, he doesn't kill for any conventional motive. Uh, he must be some kind of sadist, I guess. But not a sadist as I know them. The circumstances which he prefers show a more unnatural instinct. Well, what precisely do you mean by that term, Doctor? That from the results of my autopsy, I think the murderer is not a human. Well, then, what is it? Um, an animal of some kind? No, I didn't mean that. I'm afraid I don't follow you, Doctor. I thought so. Well, come to my place this evening for a drink. I will then explain to you what's behind my theory. I'll be glad to. At six? At six. 
All right. See you then. Okay, before we get into a plot outline of this, I'd like to go ahead and lay out why we're staring at this film, why this uh, why this plays out this way. And I think um, maybe we start off with the fact that the real title of this movie, or should I say the, uh, the more accurate title of this movie, is the, I would say, the, the, the Spanish title of the movie, El Vampiro de la Autopista, which is uh, the Vampire of the Highway, or the Highway Vampire, depending on how cool you want to be in your translation of one language to another. And that seems like a very strange title if you have seen this movie. Uh, but if you do not, if you know why this movie was produced in the first place, you'll get it. And that is because, <clears throat> bear with us, folks, this one's weird. Uh, in the, uh, in the uh, 1960s, there was a, a series of murders. One might call them a string of murders, although reading the details of it, I really find it hard to believe that any single individual was responsible for all of these deaths. On August 26, in 1964, the naked body of Mary Ann Peterson, a 22-year-old American hitchhiker, was found dead from strangulation on the highway near Karlsruhe. That's in, uh, that's in Germany. A young man was arrested for the murder, but then he was released. Turns out he did not do it. And then two years later, this quote-unquote highway murderer, as he was dubbed, struck again. In May and in June of 66, the corpses of two other female hitchhikers in their 20s, one German and the other American, were fished out of the Rhine. The circumstantial evidence, fed by eyewitness accounts of a red sports car with a Stuttgart license plate, pointed to one fellow, a guy named Waldemir, or Waldemar Egon Wolfhart, a 25-year-old uh, sometimes private detective whose whereabouts, according to the suspicions, were unknown. The German authorities did observe that the suspect's girlfriend had traveled to Spain, thus offering a clue as to where he might be. So when they eventually tracked him down, they, uh, they threw his ass in jail. Uh, turns out, unfortunately for them, he did not do it. <laughs> and when they figured this out, they had to release him and apologize to him. But the thing is, by then, he had become quite a bit of a, uh, a newspaper celebrity because he was an interesting-looking guy. I'm going to going to tell you right now, if you have seen the horrible sexy vampire, you've seen him. He is Count Obelesky. In other words, he's the guy playing the two different roles, the younger, the young descendant and the vampire himself. Do not be fooled by the uh, stage name Wall Davis. Um, his real name was Waldemir Wolfhart, which seems a little too on the nose for somebody who's going to start making horror movies, right? <laughs> So the guy was falsely accused of murders, got loose, and used his got got let yep. go because it turns out he was falsely accused, and then turned that into an acting career out of the sensationalism of his uh, catch and release. When it turns out that he was he didn't actually do what they said he did. Well, it was more than a single step to that. First, he recorded first he recorded some songs, which oh of course, which of course everyone does. I mean, if I, <clears throat> let's let's put it this way. If I'm ever accused of murder falsely, you can bet money that the way I'm going to cash in is by making people listen to me sing. So <laughs> it's the best way to get revenge, honestly, <laughs> on everyone. But <laughs> everyone will suffer. It's like if you think Gilbert Godfrey can't sing, you haven't heard me. So <laughs> so um, <clears throat> he comes out. And of course, by the time um, 
But the 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 these this series of murders were already being referred to as you know these kind of quote unquote vampire murders. So when he did record a couple of songs and put them out, he was referring to himself as Waldemar El Vampiro. Therefore, already just taking as much public advantage of his false arrest and his, uh, shall we say, uh, unfortunate connection to a series of murders uh, as he possibly could, which already starts to leave a bad taste in your mouth when you start thinking about, you know, these are these are people who who honestly were murdered, were killed, and you're kind of, I don't know, making yourself famous or more famous by taking advantage of people's interest in these lurid details it's pretty it's pretty unsavory to my to my way of thinking well he was also falsely accused of them when he didn't do them so there is that but yeah he's kind of cotton weary in that he's a little scummy about how he's going about it yeah well anyway he had expressed uh several times that he he was interested in in becoming a movie actor because of course, uh, yeah, of course he is. Uh, I mean, he was well. Let's let's be honest. I mean, he was six foot four, and had you know that that shock of white hair on top of his head. So it's not like he didn't have the particular look of someone who could be good in front of a camera. We'll discuss his actual acting capabilities in a moment. But he did say he was interested in being in the movies, and then so eventually, somebody thought, "Ooh, there's money to be made." So. Here we have <laughs> the horrible, sexy vampire, which uh, you know it's his first step in the cinema world. Now, to make a long story short, his journey in the cinema world lasted about ten years because if you've seen this movie, you can understand that his thespian skills were not necessarily of the uh, shall we say De Niro variety. Uh, this is not someone who necessarily had more than about four different facial expressions. And, <laughs> and while, while each of them is interesting in its own way, seeing them in kind of random fashion flashed across his face, especially in the scenes where he's playing against himself, and you're realizing, oh, that's really kind of strange. He's got just about four expressions, doesn't he? There's the wide-eyed, gaping maw, holy crap, what am I staring at look. There's the chin slightly down, demon, demon-eyed demon look that he gives as the vampire a few times. And, you know, kind of variations between there. He's got a good smile. Hey, I'll grant him that. Somebody paid money for those teeth. But <sighs> he is what he is. The thing is, a movie like this doesn't really require that you be that great an actor. <laughs> and that's what's saved a lot of horror movies. We're there for the horror. We're not necessarily there for a treatise on the thespian skills of someone who was inaccurately accused of murder. Thank goodness. <laughs> so, uh, oh, I should say, for those of you who've become enamored of uh, Wild Davis, uh, like I say, a stage name, if you really want to delve into his other movies, um, first of all, I feel for you because it's it's gonna be a, it's gonna be an interesting trek. He made a few films, even a couple of them that I highly recommend, but not because of him. Um, he made a few films with uh, uh, with Jess Franco, including one that just recently Mondo Macabro did put out on uh, on Blu-ray. It's an excellent film, and I have to admit that I participated in uh, a commentary track for that particular film. It stars Emma Cohen. Speaking of people who worked with Paul Nashi. The uh, Other Side of the Mirror 
is uh, an excellent film, and he does have a role in that movie. It's not a particularly huge role, but you can see our uh, erstwhile vampire in this movie pop up in that. Of course, it's much more interesting because, of course, it has Emma Cohen and Howard Vernon and Robert Woods and uh, Philippe Lamar, too, who has a pretty darn good role. So, uh, You had me at Emma Cohen. Uh, yeah, it, precisely. By the way, really do highly recommend that movie. I think that it is one of the best of Jess Franco's films. It's it's melancholy. It's beautiful. It's it's uh, thoughtful. It's intelligent. It is all the things that you wish that other Franco films would be, and sometimes miss the mark. It's really fantastic. But um, he uh, he did finally get his uh, <laughs> as an actor. Our our. Our friend Valdemar here did finally get his wish to play something along the lines of a James Bond character in a very late in the cycle. As a matter of fact, I would say it's so late in the cycle that the Eurospy thing had already died, and they found some way to resurrect it with a, with a 1974 film called The Fish with the Eyes of Gold, where he got to play a kind of James Bond character in that. I gotta admit, um, there's a part of me that really wants to see that. Barta Berry's in that movie as well as well as a few other people who worked with uh, Paul Nashie. So there's a part of me that really kind of wants to see that movie to see if it's what I hope it is, which is a train wreck. I mean, I really hope it's it's the kind of thing where you can just hear the gears grinding as they attempt to make a Eurospy film in the mid-70s. I mean, huh, but... <laughs> Like Operation Manus, only probably worse. Yeah, yeah, there's that. But, I mean, like I say, man, it has uh, Maria Elana Arpone, who was in uh, some Nashi movies. Victor Israel, who's one of my favorite Spanish character actors of all time. So, you know, it will have some joys within it, I'm sure. It's just I need to I need to find an English-language version of it and, and see... Uh, <clears throat> see if it's any good at all. I don't hold out much hope, but the fish with the eyes of gold... <laughs> Is something that I intend to see soon, and it's only because that I'm now curious about this lunatic who probably should never have been in movies at all. Nevertheless, I've put a place mark in this book. I suggest you read the passage which I've underlined. It may help you understand the problem. Our fear that vampires can exist creates the idea that there's no such thing. Come on now, my friend, really. Admit the maniac is no vampire. You shouldn't discard the hypothesis altogether. Are you good on the subject of vampires? Oh, I know very little, only what I've read in books like this. That every morning they return to their tomb. They fall upon their victims during the night, and they bite and suck blood. And the only way to kill a vampire is to drive a sharp stake through its heart. They're powerless to act against anyone who shows them a crucifix. And by day, they mustn't get caught outside their tomb, because sunlight destroys them. Right, Commissioner. I see you're quite sure about the way they act. Your mind wouldn't allow you to think they exist, though, would it? <laughs> no. We admit that when we die, there's no mortal person who knows what happens next. In my opinion, we cannot prove or disprove. The phenomenon of vampires. Can you admit that at least? Yes, I think so, Doctor, but it's not logical. I'm bad at logic. But what I'd like to make you believe is that we shun the unknown. As far as the story goes, um, this is pretty standard. It's pretty straightforward. And it's, um, it's interesting that as a production of this time period, it, 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 there's almost some, some areas of it <clears throat> that can't fall down for me as a viewer. Uh, it tries to be 
a kind of uh, a kind of gothic story in that a large chunk of it is set inside and filmed inside of the, a kind of uh, partially ruined castle uh, in, in Germany, and uh, there, therefore there's some there's some elements of the story that just that can't really suck too hard for me because I find that stuff curious you know curious enough to always keep me kind of interested. So if you go down the list of things in this movie that I enjoy and that keep me you know, interested in what's happening on the screen, you've got, and I'm just going to, I'm not going to put these in any particular order, he said, lying through his teeth. Nudity. Uh, I'm always, uh, I'm always there for the nudity. Sorry. Yeah. I am. Yeah. Um, There was a lot of thank you movie moments in the film, yes. (laughs) Oh, God, yes. Well, anyway, uh, (laughs) we'll move on. That's a discussion for a private time there. That's different. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes, let's not talk about the variety of breast shape and nipples that was a delight to enjoy. You told me the- you wouldn't say anything. Damn it. Now that's all I can think about. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Oh, well, I mean. It- it's a visual feast. Let's put it that way, folks. <laughs> this is one of the first movies, I swear to you, man. I am not kidding. That at a certain point, I started to wonder if they were casting these women because they had differently shaped breasts. <laughs> so that they could be easily told apart as the story went on. And I'm just thinking, there's no way. And then the more I thought about it, the more it seemed like a good idea. And now I'm just trapped in an endless loop about why we would cast certain types of breasts. So I'm gone now. Well, well, well the way that they, I mean, that actually makes sense because like that's kind of the only character develop you, development you get of some of the women. True. Where it's literally like, the only way to differentiate them is the fact that they have very differently shaped breasts. That's it. <laughs> it was a seventies movie after all. So, well, yeah, it does seem to be a prerequisite. If you're going to get hired for a movie of this type, you know, <laughs> specifically Spanish and Euro horror too. Yeah. This is essentially uh, must get naked, at least from the waist up. And it's like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No problem. But so there's nudity. Yes. Correct. Good. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the things where I was like, all right, well, at least I'm covering this for that. So there we go. <laughs> Two, uh, we, we have a, a dank uh, European castle where a lot of the story takes place. Cool. Good. Three, we have uh, a sometimes invisible vampire. Boy, do we need to talk about that? <laughs> Even the blood that he drinks is invisible. <laughs> yes. Yes, let's. Oh man, don't sidetrack me yet. Oh God, do I want to talk? <laughs> That's why you brought me on. That's what I do. <laughs> and then, one of my favorite things about movies of this type is since they're shot in real places, and since they're you know we, there there is an inordinate amount of time spent in this movie showing us cars drive places <laughs> because we have to pad the film. Uh, the oh, I thought those were travel logs. Come on, we actually get every moment of someone renting a car that we can marvel over. I know, I know, and it's like there's like, uh, it, it, there's like seven camera setups to show someone pulling up to a cat, the the, the 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 house's gate, and realizing that they can't get in. It's like really, could we do, do not do this with maybe one or two setups? There's actually you're gonna what, the, what in the hell are we doing here anyway? Um, Do we really need four minutes of someone driving down this windy ass, beautiful country road? And it's like, and and see, that's just it. As I get older, one of the joys that I have in a lot of these movies is the opportunity to see real places from the period in which the film was shot. 
And so I really enjoy, and this is weird of me, I know, I really enjoy getting to see gas stations and stores, you know, like storefronts and stuff like that from that period of time because all that's very different now, you know. There's not just the gas stations that don't exist anymore, but I mean just like places look different. There's There's a certain... I can't call it nostalgia because God knows I'd, I've never been tooling around freaking Germany in the early 1970s. But at the same time, there's this bizarre feeling of of joy that I get from seeing this stuff. Because it, it is really like this interesting window into the past. And I find myself being fascinated by movies that probably would not have held my interest if I were seeing it in the 1970s. Because that would just be, you know what was right outside the window, essentially, right? <laughs> yeah. But now, five decades on, I'm staring at this, and I'm just utterly fascinated by something that should not... I mean, there was no intent for that to be a draw for the film, and now, decades later, for me at least, it is. I know I'm weird. Not necessarily. I can totally see how that would draw you in or, or interest you or at least become a point of interest because it becomes a historical document at that point. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's... it's uh, you know, any contemporary film will eventually look like a period piece is essentially how how it boils down. <laughs> yeah, and the more it tries to be of that time, the more it becomes a snapshot of that time. I'm looking at you, everything from the 60s. <laughs> oh, God, yes. <laughs> well, yeah, pretty, pre- pretty much, especially from the late 60s. Holy shit. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's a few movies that don't fit that category, but if they were attempting to be, to, to be taking place in the year in which they were shot, then yeah, there's some... It's not, and it's not just the fashions, children. It's not just the fashions. <laughs> uh, okay, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about this first. Um, you know that red car that our main character is driving around? Yeah, that thing's cool. Yeah, that's his actual car, and that is the actual car that was the, one of the clues that got him arrested for those murders. Wow, this is exploitation of the highest order. I'm enjoying exactly. I'm enjoying this film's viewing in retrospect much, much more now. By the way, the the first victim, uh, and the first victim, the the first female victim. Let's put it that way. Uh, the one we see get a shower in that uh, hotel room or motel room with the, uh, let's just say, fascinating breasts. I think we can agree on that, right? <laughs> yeah, any set of them, really. Well, that woman was our lead actor's girlfriend and then eventual wife. He did all right for himself after being accused of murder falsely. <laughs> not, yeah, not, not, not too bad. Of course, like I say, he's a he's a pretty handsome guy. Let's let's not let's not downgrade the guy too much. I mean, you know, I can imagine with even just a little bit of uh, even just a little bit of game, he might be all right. But. Uh, yeah, yeah. She, it turns out she was an actress already. And as a matter of fact, she was an actress who was in uh, Jess Franco's very first film back in 1959, which may be how he was able to wrangle his way into several Jess Franco films in the 1970s. So, uh, oh, by the way, all of this information, uh, big props to uh, Is- uh, Ismael uh Fernandez, who wrote a wonderful booklet that comes with the, uh, the special edition version of this from Mondo. Wonderful essay with just packed with all kinds of information in here. Way more than I'll go into, but that's what I was reading from earlier. 
all props to uh, Mr. Fernandez for his excellent, excellent work on uh, actually digging out a lot of really great information about this movie because I, I was already puzzled about this movie and it was nice to have some of those questions answered and uh, actually see someone who uh, acknowledges this movie's many flaws, but at the same time is willing to defend certain aspects of it, which is kind of the position I find myself in. So we're, we're brothers under the skin, my friend. We're brothers under the skin. Uh, so let's talk about the, the plot of this movie. Uh, and it's, there's not a lot of plot. Let's, there's a story. That's about as far as I'm willing to go. And the, it, it, goes, it goes like this. In Germany... There are a number of, well, some murders start to happen. <laughs> how about we, how about we be as bland with it as we could possibly be? And we are shown them starting at the beginning of the film, in a way that will severely puzzle almost any viewer. Now, unfortunately, the title gives away what the movie is eventually going to present us with, which uh, is that we're dealing with a vampire. So I don't understand. The, the artistic thought behind let's have our attacking, blood-drinking monster creature be invisible. Uh, except for the very obvious reason, and I think Cord is there with me, that it is cheap as shit. <laughs> Having people like fake react to being fake choked and then flail themselves about inside of a car. Yeah. yeah, that's like the cheapest way to probably film a death scene, especially whatever blood is supposed to be coming out of them is also becoming invisible. <laughs> and, the, and then also maybe they just filmed everything with a mirror and it was a real vampire and that's how they got the invisibility. Oh, oh, now you have just come up with a thought that did not occur to me. And for that, <laughs> for that... I want to thank you. That's that honestly, that's brilliant. I mean, holy shit. How did I not think of that? That is such an incredibly stupid, bad idea. That's great. That's great. Oh my God. Oh, oh, filmed in America. Oh, now if only somebody had held up a book at some point and we were staring at it and realizing that it was all in reverse. Oh, that'd be amazing. Oh, oh. Okay. Anyway, uh, I gotta, I gotta leave that alone because that's not going to help me at all. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. I told you that's what I'm here oh, for is to derail you. Oh, that's good though. That's, that's like, that's, that's the derailment, you know, that's like a train being derailed into, uh, I, you know, I don't know, a, 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 a school. That's great. That's just wonderful. Uh, <laughs> it's like the train wreck in freaking unbreakable where there's only one survivor. <laughs> Yeah, and unfortunately, he made a movie. <laughs> so here we go. So, uh, <coughs> oh, you've killed me. Oh, good job. All right, well, so we have this series of invisible murders happening and the police investigating. And they seem to, once again, in keeping with trying to take advantage and exploit, shall we say, the, uh, the details around our lead actors, he says in quotes, uh, real life run-in with the law. We have uh, these taking place sort of along the Autobahn, the you know the the German highway. But uh, that 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 idea kind of kind of gets left behind a little bit because you know we're much more interested in having all this all this time spent inside this cool ass castle to kind of get some gothic atmosphere for which I am in, 
I'm intensely grateful for that because I'd much rather have some kind of gothic atmosphere when we start seeing somebody walking around dressed like Bella Lugosi. So that sounds good to me. Let's be clear here. The pacing of this film is weird as shit. The, the, the doling out of information uh, in this movie about what is actually going on is weird as shit. And it's only compounded by the fact that you never know if the vampire is going to actually be standing there and fucking with you or if he's going to be invisible. I mean, the, 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 the English language title of this movie includes the word vampire. So you're not hiding the ball here. Plus, even the Spanish language title of the film has the word vampire in it. So you're not thinking that people are going to sit down and wonder, I have a doubt about what might be occurring here. But And your lead actor was falsely accused of being a real-life vampire. Exactly. Oh, by the way, he was much more credibly accused of being a pimp. <laughs> oh, he's definitely most credibly accused of being a bad actor with only four facial expressions. It's, it's, like, it's like trying to decide which version of wood. Is it teak this time? Is it oak? Are we talking maple? What type? <laughs> anyway, the uh, as a man once said, my God, he is a plank. But the, uh, the, the story lurches along in uh, an interesting way, I guess, if you, if you tilt your head just right, like, you, like you're a dog that heard a strange whistle. But the, uh, the, It's deliberately paced kind of like Devil's Nightmare. Like yeah. The horror is few and far between, and it's more about the titillation, literally and figuratively. And then it's also about like viewing the just sort of abandoned nature of the castle that he's in or mm -hmm. just um, the rural setting or, or just like it's, it's like tone and atmosphere more than anything. Agreed. And that's the part that they get right in the pacing is when they're allowing you to just sit there and stew in that tone or atmosphere for some of these abandoned buildings or like the old creepy hotels or just the country roads and things like that, that people might be on. But when it tries to actually drive plot forward, that's when it kind of trips on its own shoelaces. <laughs> yes. Yes. I mean, and, and to their uh, to their uh, to their credit, they really do attempt to find ways to set things up because one one could argue, and this is true of a number of films of this type, that th this film is broken up. Uh, th th it's it's a series of murders of one type or another broken up by scenes of people talking to each other. But of course, you know, of course it is. That's the nature of storytelling. But they seem to be aware, at least, that they need to vary things to a degree or people are going to start to get bored. So we have these long conversations with people, but we keep varying the locations just enough so that we're always in a slightly different place. we got some different visuals. So the movie starts off with uh, the, the, uh, the autopsy of the first victim, or the first victims. And uh, we, we have this coroner who essentially automatically goes, all right, fuck it, it's a vampire. Uh, you know, I'm impressed. I like it when we get to the supernatural nature of things. Right there in the first reel, we're not playing around. We're not going, ooh, it could be this. It might be. No, 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 no. So we have these, we start in the morgue. The, uh, the doctor convinces the investigating cop, hey, look, come back to my place. We'll have a drink. We'll talk about this. Because 
we need to be in a different location so that it looks more interesting than being in this place. And by the way, if I can get a drink in your hand, maybe you'll believe my bullshit. So we get to this guy's house, we get to the coroner's house, and here's where my first real chuckle of the movie happened. To explain his vampire theory to this cop, he hands him a copy of Bram Stoker's Dracula. It just says, okay, there, I stuck a bookmark in there. Go and read that passage in this work of fiction from nearly a hundred years before. <laughs> we'll, we'll get on track here with what we're talking about. Doesn't he try to play like it? It seems like they're trying to play it off like no, Dracula is more like a manual of like what actually happened in this time frame. Because yeah. in this world, we accept that vampires are real, and we are now dealing with it like Euro horror, Hammer film style. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's it's one of those things where you're, you know, as a viewer, you, I, all I could do was chuckle. I mean, I thought that was I thought that was funny. I thought that was nice, but. Smartly, they use that just a, that that quote from the the novel as just a, a jumping off point to start discussing the the, sp- the particulars of what they've already seen here, and I got to give credit here too. The bite marks, the bite marks on the necks of the victims, those look pretty good. They're not they're not the two hole punctures that you usually see in in fantasy horror films of a certain type. These look like you know. Two chomp, chomp down bite marks on, you know, the, these look like the the shape of someone's mouth as they're biting into someone. Although, quite honestly, if they were going to bite down like that, you'd expect there to be like a big chunk of flesh missing. But still, I like the effort. I kind of wonder if perhaps the vampire killings may have been the influence in that and that the teeth impressions that were left behind in that series of killings that Ooh. that man was falsely accused of, that that's what they look like. And they're going full sleazebag exploitative here. Which would not surprise me. I don't have any evidence to point toward that, but uh, yeah, yeah, you might be right there, which is, <laughs> which would be another thing. See, I spend most of my time watching this movie, trying to forget the origins of how it was made or why it was made so that I don't end up, you know, feeling kind of dirty. <laughs> But now, now I can't even look at those cool wounds that I just praised and, and not think that that might be why they look the way they look. So, yeah, yeah. yeah you're welcome. I mean, if they're going to low, I mean, if they're going to go this low, they might as well really lean into it. Are you just, like, gonna, are you just going to start smashing kittens next? Is that your next move to make me feel bad? Court? I, mean, I would shit. never harm a kitten just to make you feel bad. <laughs> There would have to be at least two different reasons instead of just one. So, no, no, I would just not harm kittens in general oh, oh, okay. just because well, I'm enough. a cat person. Come on. Oh, well, believe me, I've recently, as you may have noticed, I've turned into a cat person myself because we have the we have the little demon pancake surviving uh, every every weird thing that we throw at him. I mean, he, he, he actually even likes going to the damn vet, the little fucker. <laughs> well, that's usually how it works. You find the right one and they turn you into a cat person. Yeah. He's a sweetheart and I need to stop talking about him or I will summon him and then we will have to stop recording. So here we go. <laughs> or just have a lot of meowing as he begs for attention. Uh, uh, generally, he will he will just purr right at me and uh, I will, I'll melt into a puddle on the floor. Uh, <laughs> well, uh so the the cops are of course eventually you know they eventually have to come around but at first they're uh, not gonna buy this 
But here's the neat thing, and this is I'm not I can't give this movie credit for too much in the way of the way it structures itself, but I will give them this. They do search the castle. They talk to um, uh, the person who seems to be their uh, their initial suspect, who, of course, strange enough, is our main character, who is a, a suspect who turns out to be innocent. Oh, my, we really are following reality here a little bit, aren't we? <laughs> but at the same time, uh, what I was really surprised by was our invisible vampire murderer takes out the, uh, the first detective in charge of investigating these murderers takes out the coroner, takes out the cop's assistant and driver, and it's almost like they were they were channeling the the setup of Psycho in that we're following some characters for the first reel and then our monster takes them out and we we, we restart with a new cop. There is some kind of a phrasing about how this was the place for the dead and that they can't desecrate it as he kills one of that group as well. Yeah, yeah, and it's uh it's there's just enough meat on the bone for me to enjoy what they're doing here. Uh, and the the weird rules that have been set up by the uh, the vampire, who of course who has a descendant that played by the same actor, who shows up to uh, to take over the castle, and he elaborates on some of the strange little rules that he has to go by. When uh, now that he's taken this place over, it's like he can't. He, he's not allowed to bring people into the castle that's one of the rules he's uh not allowed to bring a woman into the castle unless she's his wife uh he's not allowed to uh go down into the 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 dungeons or cellars or whatever i keep i forget whatever words being used for them at all and to and to to breach these rules is to uh bring upon oneself we don't know of course as viewers we know oh the vampires show up and kick your ass he may be invisible <laughs> he may not be invisible it's kind of hard to know. <laughs> One thing or the other, you're not going to see him for a good portion of the film. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's one theory. There, there, there's one theory that I that I've seen tossed around, which may not be too far out of the realms of possibility, is that they filmed some of the scenes either before our main actor got to the production or after he left, you know, and I, I don't know. I mean, it's like, oh, well, how do we have the, the main character still killing people? Well, he's invisible now. Uh, yeah, I guess that works. Why not? But the scene variability, uh, I think some of the scene variability actually shows up in some accidental stuff in this film as well, because I think they realized there's a, there's a, there's a point in the movie where suddenly uh, the area around the castle slash house is uh, is covered in snow. There's obviously been a massive snowstorm in the area. And so uh, they take advantage of how cool that looks by having a few conversations between our main character and the police out actually in that yard, you know, surrounded by uh, the, the snow and everything. And that, once again, that's another little change in uh you know a, a variety of visuals shall we say to keep things uh visually interesting to keep to, to keep my eye attuned to what is going on without it necessarily being something uh that i'm you know severely involved in plot or story-wise or my concern or empathy for the characters or any of those other things the movie just doesn't bother with so the uh <laughs> the joys of this movie are purely exploitation and simple curiosity about just what in the hell are they going to do next? So I have to say 
the strange elements of this movie, the pieces where I feel like we've gotten something, we've gotten our hands around something here, and we're just, you know, we're writing it as far as we can, and then we're just going to jump off and hope that we roll well enough to not kill ourselves, is that this vampire thing just keeps rolling forward, more and more victims. Uh, we, you know, we have somebody violate one of the uh, the spoken slash unspoken rules about what to do around the castle, and you start to wonder if they're going to die. I mean, he does eventually break his rule with the woman because his girlfriend shows up. Our main character's girlfriend shows up, and he brings her right into the house. I mean, of course you would. It's cold outside, and you know you're going to have sex with this woman. You don't want to do it out in the snow. But that means he's brought a woman who's not his wife into the house. So, of course, that makes her a target, right? Yeah, more or less. You, you would think so. But the rules seem to not necessarily apply, or perhaps that Vampire assumes that she is his wife, because she's pretty much unscathed for the rest of the film, right? Yeah, true. And of course, I love the fact that as, as, as the movie moves along, we, we have our main character, Adolf, he starts to see visions of his deceased relative kind of lurking around but at first he chalks it up to the fact that he's apparently just drinking way too much uh, and either he's either drinking or he has a hangover roughly 80 percent of his first three or four days around this place and that's uh, pretty typical of your horror though <laughs> true 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 uh once he finally figures out what the hell's going on uh and starts arming himself with a wooden stake uh, I do like the fact that his, uh, it looks to be his vampire hunting uh, outfit involves a snakeskin jacket. So big plus there. <laughs> yeah, that look very much feels like Nicolas Cage in the mid 90s. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. Oh my God. <laughs> I, wonder if, I wonder if Cage still has the damn thing or if he just updates one every now and then and gets a new one. Have you skinned, any, no more, have you skinned any more snakes? <sighs> I have no clue. Well, there's a lot of shenanigans and goings on and plenty of nudity and some 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 strange things happen here and there that they're the kind of things that really only happen in European horror films of this period. And for that, I'm grateful because every time I think I've seen every weird ass thing that can happen in one of these movies, I see a movie that I haven't seen from the period and I realize, oh, wow. So they really just they just really tried to build an entire scene around that, didn't they? It ends up exactly where we all know it's going to end up. But I have to admit that the ending keeps going a little bit longer than I thought it would. You know, how much can you spoil a movie like this? I mean, we all know we all know where this is going. We all know what's going on here. I mean, what we have the novelty of an invisible vampire, with, which is maybe something that you're interested in, maybe not. But by the time we get to the point where we're staking the staking the vampire and getting all this stuff taken care of it's mostly the atmosphere in the in the in the tomb that i think is is pretty cool i i like the fact that the the vampire is a skeleton during the daylight hours and then of course you know he reforms into his full-bodied self to go tromping around and you know going up and down the audubon and killing people apparently for no damn good reason whatsoever that anybody ever figures out it's strangely entertaining, but not always for the reasons that I think that the filmmakers are originally thought it would be. Where do you fall? Where do you fall on the the qualities of this thing as the strange little piece of exploitation that it is? Well, learning what I've learned this morning about it definitely reframes just how sleazy and gross it feels. Uh, that <laughs> okay, they're yeah, yeah. Ba- that they're basically. They're basically doing like the Manson family murders uh, TV movie. Yeah. But 
extending it out and throwing in a little more sleaze and nudity with this story of the vampire killings. And then they even hire this guy that was accused falsely of it and then, you know, later uh, released and, and shown to be innocent. And then they're recreating it and they're putting him in there to actually be the killer. Like, that feels all sorts of off in a, in a way that I'm not quite ready to deal with upon learning that at such an early hour for myself. But uh, <laughs> watching the movie without that knowledge and the choices that they're making uh, with that and the way that they're they're doing this, like, I was actually pretty confused as to where the, like, I thought this was, like, kind of a ghost story thing going on more than anything. Yeah. But there there are vampire tales that they're like a spectral being or like they can, they can come in as like a mist or something along those lines or right. you will never see them. So the invisibility aspect of it didn't really bother me. And it actually was kind of a sneaky ghost story slash invisible man movie that just so happened to be that he's biting people to death to kill them. And he really seems to have a serious dislike of women bathing because <laughs> almost all of his female victims have either just bathed or are in the process of bathing when he goes to attack them. So there's there's interesting pieces of entertainment that they do in the sequences. And some of the murders work better than others. And some of the invisible kills work better than others. And so it's definitely uneven. It shifts around in tone. It shifts around in pacing. It goes from this very slow, deliberate pacing to like these action vignette sequences back to the very slow, deliberate pacing. Uh, there's this sort of murder mystery thing of what's going on here when the new detective guy comes to town he starts working with <laughs> working with the guy that inherited the castle because it's all centering around this castle and yeah it's just strange it's like a strange mix of all these various story plot points and ideas that's very convoluted and chaotic and odd and the the first time that I watched it I had a very hard time telling what was going on and where these people were i thought like all of the people that were showing up at first were just showing up at the castle thinking it was a hotel and just walking in and getting a room and i'm like how is that even possible but no they're <laughs> they're just along a highway and he's a highway killer and now that makes sense now that you told me what you told me and it's going to reframe that and probably make it feel even more sinister and kind of gross that they're they're doing that but not in like a a way where i won't enjoy the film watching again it's just basically they're replicating that tale you know, I've watched serial killer biopics before, but never one that quite runs with such fantasy on top of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you, your statement about being a little uh, feeling dirty, let's put it that way, about the, the, the way in which the real life exploitation elements are being folded into this thing. I'm there with you, but I have to admit that the the movie is it's 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 such an obvious film of the you know the the european gothic vampire type that i'm not too, you know i i was able to get past it at a certain point especially considering when i watched it i had not read the uh the essay and therefore knew as much as i would eventually know about the film but there, there's no way to get around some of the weirdness of this movie just on the face of the way it's made regardless of the behind the scenes stuff such as i mean come on there there comes a point when we have a guy you know who's fighting himself and it's just so bizarre. It, it, it's always a difficult thing to do. They, they make an attempt at it, and it's the usual low-budget attempt of films of this type. And it's, it's, it's okay. It, it, if, if you walked away from this movie kind of throwing your hands up and just thinking that it's, you know, it's all pretty mediocre and you know, unexciting, I would understand it. 
but I am not that kind of beast. I'm a strange. I'm a strange person, and so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the guy fighting himself or vampire battle the final you know confrontation thing. I mean, Peter Jackson did a much better job in Bad Taste, where he's fighting himself on the edge of a cliff. Yes. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, that doesn't quite work as well, but the film as a whole and, like, the oddity that it is is still fascinating, and it's not a completely boring watch because it makes sure to sprinkle enough nudity to keep your attention, just yeah. as a doldrum may hit you. But it definitely also has a decent enough storytelling to where I could kind of see where you could recreate this or redo this or take a storyline similar to this and just take out all the exploitative elements and just focus in on the idea of the inheritance and the vampire being awoken for whatever reason every couple of years and even being tired of that and being ready to just move on and asking an ancestor to help him do it because he's the only one that has a power over him or something along those lines like that would that, be good yeah yeah, that has a lot of the kind of things that I like in a Nashi or Euro horror kind of film. You know, like the there's must be a silver cross that stabs into his heart by someone who loves him. You know, like the really convoluted rules on how to kill a monster that ends up in Spanish horror. It has that aspect to it, too, that's kind of interesting. And I like what it's trying to do. It's just basically like a beautiful landing at almost the wrong airport. <laughs> you know, it's the way I would phrase it. Like it, it has all of this promise and all of this potential and it's, it's barreling towards the end. And then when it finally makes the landing, you know, everyone's safe and sound, but they wanted Newark, but they're not there. They're in New York. <laughs> and now they've got to get a fucking cab. But, right. but yeah, the, you're right in that my, my thoughts always drift back to, trying to compare this movie to um films of the same period the same you know around the same you know made in the same area and so my my mind starts to drift to the sometimes derided screenplays of movies made by paul nashi which i think are much better well much better thought out than anything that this movie has to offer because like i say like like like, like you were mentioning with the nashi films he works really hard to try to find uh motivations for his characters for what these people are doing and why they need to do what they do and you're you're just possibly off the cuff thought about perhaps this you know the 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 vampire character wanting to end his you know centuries long life and use and and really maybe only being able to use his descendant to do it that's a hell of an idea but of course, you're not going to find that idea in this movie because it's not something that even occurred to the people writing it. It's not. Well, yep. the, the he just hints director. that he's, yeah. he says something about because the guy's a descendant, he's powerless against him. And he does say that he wants to end his life. But, you know, I don't know if it's only the descendant that can do it or if it's just that he's telling the descendant this because he wants him to end his life, you know, right. because he's, he's just had enough. I just kind of inferred that, well, maybe he's been waiting all this time for an actual descendant to come back because it's been a while. No one else wanted to bother with this estate. It, You know, this is the first one. So maybe the vampire that's in this is looking at this is his last chance. He's got to talk him into doing it, you know? Yeah, I mean, I if that had been the stated goal of this monster, in other words, stop me, or st either stop me so that, so that I stop murdering people or... 
if you don't act, then I'm just going to keep killing people. And as a matter of fact, I'll murder your girlfriend. You know that. You know this this kind of thing may, might have been. Uh, you know where where maybe the vampire is experiencing just uncontrollable bloodlust, and his only you know the only only downtimes are after he's murdered someone in drunk blood, and therefore those that's when he can be coherent enough to talk to his descendant and try to get him to 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 end his existence. That could have been a very interesting way for this story to go. They didn't think of that. That's more along the lines of something that, you know, Jacinto Molina, Paul Nashi, he would have thought of that. He would have come up with this kind of cursed being who's trying to find a way out of this horrible situation that he's found himself in. You know, who sees his affliction as a curse instead of, you know, whatever this vampire character in this movie sees his his version of life. I You know, we're, we're, we're never given much insight into what motivates this character beyond just being a vampire and magically having the ability to be invisible. The, the, maybe, maybe that points to one of the reasons why it has taken me so long to get around to this movie. Because, let's be clear, this movie has a terrible reputation, even amongst Eurohorror fanatics. Uh, not, not, not that uh, I agree with every criticism leveled against it that I've read, but... I understand why this is not held up as one of the best examples of Spanish horror from the 70s. I mean, I boy, boy, is it obvious. Yes, this is not, you know, amongst the best of the genre. Uh, even if you're only restricting yourself to Spanish horror, there are many more great examples to point to. I mean, there's this there's really good stuff out there. And this this has the feeling of something that needed and um, needed more time in the, uh, the conception phase before they started putting things in front of a camera. Yeah, this feels like the kind of thing that they did with Lorelei's Grasp is what they were attempting for, doing yeah. doing a like a, an old-fashioned uh, monster movie story or monster tale, but like with some fresh and new ideas and kind of changing things up a little bit and just trying to make it slightly different, but also at the same time, trying to bring in this uh this existing story that they know people are going to be fascinated by just by knowing that this guy is now going to be in the movie and it doesn't quite mesh together well it's it's like a jambalaya more than it's like a solution (laughs) yeah and and i think you're right i think that one of the reasons why this isn't as well thought out and uh conceived is simply because I think either they may have thought, wow, we're really going to make some money off this. Let's get this thing in the can and out there on theater screens, you know, as quickly as they could. I mean, I think this was the earliest screenings of this was in 1970. So what we have here is maybe they're more interested in getting this done quickly than getting it done well, because they think that they've got a built, they've got a, got a built in audience that they can, uh, they can hoodwink into getting in, you know, getting in there and paying a theater ticket before they have any idea of what they're looking at. And that's, don't get me wrong. Hey, good job. I'm, I'm proud of you. I'm really thrilled. I'm glad you made this movie regardless of, of ways in which we can obviously see that it could be improved. But, there are examples where people did the same kind of thing and just and I, I, I'm trying to not be cruel when I state when I say this because it, it, it would sound awful, especially taking a, taken out of context as a soundbite. It's like there are people who have done similar things such as this, but were more talented or maybe just thought things through in a better way. But maybe speed was of the essence, and that's why we've got what we've got here. 
Yeah, it's definitely a rushed feeling to the production of the film. And it, it definitely has, now that I know what I know about the film, it definitely has a feeling to it where it's it's now or never, we got to get this out and we got to do this before this 15 minutes of fame for this gentleman are up. Yeah, yeah, we've got we've got to strike while the iron's hot. And it really feels like, I mean, one could even be um, a little crueler about one aspect of it, which is that we've talked about the fact that there's, you know, at a certain point, there's obviously been a snowstorm, and so they they take advantage of that by having those those uh, scenes that are shot out in the uh, uh, out in the snow. Which you know, don't get me wrong, I'm good job. I, I like that aspect of it. I think it's great, but at the same time, it's a uh, it's a it's an aspect of it where they're just like, no rush, get this through. We've got you know, I don't know how how long they had to shoot this thing. I don't have any information about that. Although I got to say, I, I still haven't listened to the entire commentary track that's on the Mondo Macabro disc. I need I need to do that. Uh, I listened to the first like fifteen or twenty minutes of it, uh, and what I'm what I'm hearing on it sounds what I hear, what I'm hearing on it sounds really cool. And, and I can't wait to find out if they've got some information about how long they had to shoot this. You know. Did they shoot it in two weeks? Did they shoot it in you know three weeks? Whatever it was, but I think that it feels like a rushed production, and we have every reason in the world to believe that that is that is what the situation would have been. I gotta say the the the, the fact that they are doing their best to work vampire into pretty much every variation on the title that you can think of, except for just a couple. Uh, the uh, I think the Italian title is the only one that doesn't have vampire. I mean, The Curse of the Vampire is what it was called in Mexico. In West Germany, for some reason, the film was called, uh, I'll, try, you know, I'll, I'll translate it on the fly, but it's, it's the, the, va- the Vampire of Castle Frankenstein, which, you know, that doesn't make any damn sense. Uh, <laughs> it's Frankenstein's bloody terror all over again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. It's like... <laughs> One wonders if in the German version of this, the German dub of it, there was you know there was some attempt to, to to drag the Frankenstein family into this thing or not. <laughs> Escape from Planet Ape. <laughs> Escape from Planet. Yes, exactly. Something as silly as that. Um, but the uh, like in France, it was called the the this the. the the sexy vampire or the sexual vampire. I'm not sure exactly how to translate that. I'm sorry, but my my uh, college level French is not uh, is not survived uh, this deep into my aging. Sorry, folks. <laughs> but but the 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 realization that they're trying to work vampire into this at every opportunity, uh, you know, matter what no matter what country it's released in, uh, tells me that they're they're leaning heavily into uh, that. And, and, and therefore, it kind of makes you wonder once again about the whole, you know, attempt to hide the ball about what kind of monster they're dealing with for the first few minutes of the movie. It's like once we get into once we get to the corner and he just immediately goes, OK, it's a vampire. It's like, OK, well, then why are we playing around? Why are we doing this invisible vampire shit? Um, except other than it has to be the fact that they have got to get a certain number of murders on screen. And we don't have the actor, so what we'll do is it's much easier to just have one actor thrash around and pretend he's being attacked, and then we cut to a nice shot of the corpse with a, a you know a, a wound in his throat. But I can respect that. <laughs> I mean, if if you if you've ever enjoyed a movie of this type and wondered just what in the hell the idea was, I mean, we can all see where this is going. It definitely has the feeling to where they want you. To definitely be thinking about specifically the lead actor 
and the very real history of what's going on. And they're hoping that that alone will get you into the theater. Like as far as the titling goes and the way that it's set up and how much it mimics events of real world deaths of people that have happened. So they're definitely banking on that as like their selling point for sure. You know, (laughs) it's, it's kind of like if, uh, hunchback of the morgue was like oh by the way there's an actual severed head in the film and like they went for that and like you know made that like the main sticking point you know that they used a real human severed head in the film now you have to go see it you know like the the worst aspect of the film that it could have possibly been used to market is what they really are going for in trying to push it forward and that's like you know, hey it's a vampire but is it a vampire we're not really sure we we rushed this into production i say do you suspect me why no don't forget that I'm a policeman, and questions like that are really most natural for me. Oh, I say, Inspector, what do you really think about all these killings here? Well, I still haven't come up with an absolutely concrete theory. The killings generally follow a pattern, I would say, but the murderer always destroys his tracks. I can't imagine how he does it. You understand, I've only been in town less than ten days. At first, I simply thought it was some insane criminal who I could easily identify. But unfortunately, that's not the case. It's not that simple. We checked on all of the persons who are no mental cases, and we can't find an answer. There's something about this case that simply eludes me. To be complete, you had me watched. You don't mind. I'm able to show by my record what the exact time was when you re-entered your hotel. I've no case there. I see, of course, you can't be our fiend unless you can be invisible. I was home and sound asleep when those murders were committed. And they are. That lets me off. At 2.30, or about that. I'm sorry I'm not so supernatural as to make myself unseen. I uh, asked the judge to issue a warrant to search the castle. What did he say? The petition has to be studied. I hope you understand my position. Of course, if the judge gives you a search warrant, I have to comply. According to the will, I shouldn't let anyone in the castle except my wife. And I haven't got one. But if I were forced by law, I suppose I'd have to let you in. Don't you think we might find a solution in the cellars of the castle? It's worth a try. This search warrant is quite welcome. This way, I'll be able to do some research on my behalf and also be able to help you. (laughs) You don't expect us to believe that you haven't explored the cellars yet. You know I'm forbidden by the will to enter them. Of course, we haven't mentioned that in the English dialogue, the English dub of this, um, the the vampire, it's Baron Baron Winninger, uh, begins with a W, which, of course, makes it problematic when you start talking about uh, German versus, you know, basically, basically various pronunciations. I mean, at times, I swear it does sound as if they're saying, you know, <laughs> Baron Vinegar. I'm not I'm not sure that was, was a fine fine choice but what are you going to say you've got too many languages you're going to dub this thing into eventually as with almost any film of this type in this period it was shot without sound and all the everything was post synced but um the italian title of it translates into the manias of mr winnegar sex murderer <laughs> which i think is such a mouthful of as, as, a, as a title that it almost had to be an italian title <laughs> your vice is a locked room and only i have the key for seven deaths in a cat's eye <laughs> you get my drift exactly <laughs> but the uh the, the 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 fun of this i mean i i think the curse of the vampire it's a good it's a good alternate title that's not bad but 
yeah, like I say, the vampire of, of Frankenstein Castle. What the hell? What are they thinking? Well, they're, <laughs> they're thinking getting asses in seats. You know, we need people buying tickets to these damn things. So, uh, without going into uh, too much detail, uh, I, I think it's probably a good idea to uh, kind of give our uh, our wrap up thoughts. Where do you think this falls in the in the realm of weird Spanish horror movies of the early nineteen seventies, Mister Psyops? <laughs> well, that was very Hugo Weaving in the Matrix movies, the way that you said that. Sorry. Mr. Psyops, yes. Uh, <laughs> I, it is not one of the pantheon that I would recommend over a lot of the other ones. Like, I would probably go over a litany list of Paul Nashie films and uh, DeSorio stuff. And, like, yeah. if you had gone to the point where you had seen pretty much everything that I have seen at this point... Spanish horror-wise, I would then ask if you'd seen Horrible Sexy Vampire and talked about how it's an intriguing film and, you know, then kind of said, hey, well, if you haven't seen it, you might want to check it out because, and then told them the backstory behind it and how it's kind of somewhat exploitative. Because, as you mentioned, yeah, that's way more interesting than the actual viewing of the film itself. You know, like, I can honestly say that viewing the Blu-ray after having purchased it, I was like, what the fuck was Rod thinking? He wants to cover this on the show? What... What purpose? Like, how are we going to talk about this for, you know, more than 10 minutes? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And well, then, yeah, there's not a lot of meat on the bone. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. But then knowing what you know about the history with it and the backstory and all of that, which I didn't delve into, I wanted to jump into the movie just sight unseen because that's how I was going to approach it. And I figured that would help with the conversation a little bit. And then learning what I've learned here on the show today, you know, I would probably use that more of a selling point like the film probably intended. Yeah. You know, like this is what they did. It was exploitative. It was not a choice that I would necessarily want a film to take, but this is what they did. It's the same thing where I kind of warn people before I show them Hunchback of the Morgue where I'm like, yeah, there's going to be an actual severed human head in this film <laughs> and actual harm to rats. So you might want to be leery. But otherwise, it's a very interesting film, you know, and. With this one, it's like, so the interesting thing about this is how exploitative and sleazy it actually is, but in a stealthy way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it, it's not something that decades after the fact, you, basically, you need a, a history lesson before you know how exploitative, <laughs> exploitative it's being. And that, uh, that I think that makes it go down a little bit easier. Although, I, for most modern audiences, this is not going to be something that they're really going to be drawn to. This is more in the niche category. This is, as you said... Once you've gone through, man, just lots of European exploitation from the period, this one's another one that's going to get thrown onto the pile. This is another one in the uh, the the long list of, well, it's not in the top twenty-five, but man, if you want to see something curious, if you're willing to, fo- or if you're willing to follow, uh, you know, certain character actors, or you're curious about the writer director, and uh, if if you if if you're intrigued enough. If your love of film has become more scholarly than anything and you just need to see everything, (laughs) this is one of the ones that you need to see. But I mean, yeah, at this point, luckily, I mean, like I say, no, no matter what version of this you would you, you were to purchase, at least you're getting a, a commentary track with it that lays out a lot of the specifics around the production of the film, the reasons that were it was made, what would have made it a success at the time that it came out, uh, the, the the kind of weirdness that is involved in greenlighting something like this, you know, getting somebody willing to 
you know, throw some money at a project, a project of this type. It's it's fascinating for that, and it's also just kind of weird. It, you know, it's it's not one of those vampire movies that adds something to the mythos. It's not a vampire movie that brings something to the table that you've not seen in any other movie. And you know, just in our brief discussion, we we point out that, you know, you you very wisely pointed out how they could have adjusted things, just rethought some element of the film to kind of bring out something that's kind of already hinted at, at least within the English dialogue, that would have really turned this film into something a bit more interesting in how it's structured and how it's laying out its story. Yeah, it it just feels like all of the choices that were made were just made in the effort of getting it made as briefly and quickly as possible. Yeah. You know, like yeah. With, with, with maximum results for minimum effort. Pretty, pretty much, pretty much. And like I say, that's the, that's one piece of information I want to finish. I want to finish listening to the commentary track to find out if they have any uh, info about the, the length of time that they, they actually had during production and, you know, just how quickly were they getting this made and rushing it out. So, very curious about that. The uh, the horrible sexy vampire from either 1970 or 1971. Worth seeing if you are a nutcase like Court and myself. Uh, <laughs> if you're the kind of person that buys a Blu-ray just because it's released by a company that you like, then this is definitely the movie for you. Oh, this may be one of the most Mondo Macabro films I think I've ever seen. This is exactly the kind of thing. It's like if you're talking the Euro weirdness, I mean, you know, yeah, this and uh, Dr. Jekyll and the Werewolf, this is the kind of stuff that they're going to put out. This is exactly why I love the company so damn much. <laughs> it's, even when it's, it's like, oh, yeah, I've heard of that movie, but I've not gotten around to it yet. Well, now you've got the best way to do it. And that's I've said that about a, one of their releases I don't know, probably 25 times. So it's it's for a select niche audience. And if you know who you are, you know who you are. Otherwise, we may have warned you away from it with this podcast. I don't know. <laughs> if nothing else, it's worth it for the nudity. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay, brief aside. I'm not kidding about the variety and, and, and variations on female breasts in this film. Holy crap. I, if, if that was what they were casting these ladies on, <laughs> points points to the casting director or the director probably, if I had any guess in the matter. Yeah, there was a diversity of breast shape, nipple placement, <laughs> nipple type. Um, oh, okay. We're getting into a weird area now. <laughs> well, I mean, that's that's the kind of the thing that I was focusing in on the movie to keep me going through it because I didn't know what the hell was going on otherwise. Well, I got to say, one of the things, you know, one of the things you'll notice the more you think about movies, especially uh, uh, when you're talking about movies that are uh, of this particular type of genre, you know, when you start talking about exploitation films is one of the things that you do. Uh, well, even in larger scale movies as well, more more budget, more more budgetarily uh, generous productions as well is that one of the things you do in your casting is you if you if you've got a number of people who are going to only be on screen for a, a short period of time you try to cast people who look very different from each other in other words the the most obvious things uh, different hair colors different you know styles of dress you you try to make sure that it's very easy for uh, an audience to discern differences between different people on screen so that when things start to happen and when uh, you know, certain characteristics are attributed to certain people. It's very easy visually to link them in your memory because they're only going to be around for a short period of time and you want to make them memorable to some degree. 
Well, <laughs> this is the first movie I've ever thought that they might have used breast, sh- breast shape and nipple placement <laughs> as a criteria for choosing their vampire victims. Uh, <laughs> I'm kind of, I'm kind of, I, I, I kind of wish the director was still alive so I could query him about this, but uh, I don't know that he would ever give me a straight answer. So, yeah, that's that's kind of the most intriguing part of this uh, film is how did they make that decision for me? <laughs> And I think what I need to do is watch those sequences again and again and again, and just those sequences to Perhaps try and ascertain what might be the reason for hiring such a diversity of actresses that have pretty much all the same body shape, the only real discerning characteristic between them, um, other than obviously hair color and some things like that, is definitely the shape and <laughs> placement of breasts on their bodies. That's that's kind of it. and. I don't feel so creepy about saying that because the film focuses in on it in such a way that is already lecherous that I don't even feel bad about just bringing that up to the surface and discussing it. I feel kind of bad about it, but I knew going in that I was going to feel kind of bad about it, so I'm not too concerned. I mean, I'm just going to say thank you, movie, all around. (laughs) I'm just, I'm just going to say I'm glad we mostly waited until the very end of the show to actually talk about this in depth because now I feel, (laughs) I feel like you know we could start talking about uh, perhaps you know various substrata of Pornhub genres that we we could actually go down the rabbit hole on, and I don't want to do that. That's for a different show. We could just talk about my obsession with Red Sonia being able to pick me up and take care of me and how that makes you uncomfortable. Uh, that's a very She-Hulk thing you've got going on there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that sequence was amazing when she picked up that dude and dragged him to the bedroom. That was, oh, that was yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, 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 I'm pretty sure that that's not, uh, you did, that's not a one-time watch for you, is it? <laughs> <laughs> nope, not at all. Not that scene. <laughs> Court, thank you very much for coming on to talk to me about this very strange Spanish horror film. Well, thank you for having me on and bringing something so bizarre and just off-putting into my life (laughs) movie-wise. Tell the people where they can find your podcast, my friend. Yeah, a quick Google search of Cinema PsyOps is going to bring us up for sure. Uh, We're on Legion Podcast, the URL for the direct landing page, uh, legionpodcast.com forward slash cinema dash psyops dash podcast. Uh, all of your various podcatchers and Spotify and everything like that, Cinema PsyOps is there. And if you search for Cinema PsyOps, comes up as like the third or fourth one now, I think, on iTunes or maybe fifth. Um, we've been around long enough to where that, that happens now, and that's kind of awesome. Cool, cool, cool. Well, once again, man, thank you for coming on and doing this. And uh, I guess we will talk to you again soon. Uh, maybe I let you choose the next film that we cover on the Bloody Pit here. Something to something to rattle you out of the uh, the hell that you're about to put yourself through on your own show for the next few months. <laughs> you say hell, but I'm looking forward to it. I'm actually going to enjoy it because you know our bread and butter is the weird and just offbeat and sometimes really low budget. And why the fuck did this get made? That's kind of what we do. Uh, well, uh, you know. Good for you. I mean, that we could call this episode an example of that as well. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I'm, I'm your man for this kind of shit, apparently. <laughs> Court, thank you very much. Thank you. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Uh, necrophilia. Uh, uh, uh. It's a dead issue, man. Don't, don't push it. Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this <laughs> No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked. 
prudes. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in you. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get out of it. It's unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this movie. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this like little nerd glee with everything that kept Little history doll popping up at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you you couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was. How did you watch this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. Aren't TV movies fun? You see all these familiar faces, but doing really unfamiliar things. And I think that that's really exciting. And I think that's something important to the history of film in general. Join Amanda. There's a lot going on in that scene that is unspoken between two men. So I'm just telling you, I think there was a little Brokeback Mountain. (laughs) Dan. I think Therese is a little bipolar. Her voice, it goes from this sort of sexy, sensuous voice to, Okay, Ramsey, get out of here. (laughs) And date. I love, you know, in like the late 70s, early 80s, the crazier a person got, the bigger their hair got. (laughs) As they discuss their favorite made-for-TV movies. Mr. Hazelrick. On the made-for-TV mayhem show. This man came to see him. He never comes to see him at work. (laughs) What kind of stories could he have to tell him? (laughs) Tales of his postal delivery. Well, thank you very much for listening to our show on the horrible, sexy vampire. Definitely a left turn out of the gate for some of the kinds of stuff that shows up here on the Bloody Pit. Like I say, more naturally could have ended up on the Nashy cast. But hey, sometimes changing things up is not necessarily a bad idea. Plus, it's just a lot of fun to talk to Court about a a movie this strange. I mean, Invisible Vampires? What are we doing? here but nevertheless want to thank you for listening to this show and if you have any comments either about this film or any other film that we've covered or if you've got any ideas for films that you want to hear us talk about in the future uh, with any of my occasional co-conspirators in this project please drop a line to thebloodypit at gmail.com love to hear from you and uh, hope everyone is having a great October And I hope you have a happy Halloween. Bye now.
icy smile that's hidden from God's good grace to let these cold fingers lightly touch my neck where once there was love now terror takes its place